Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you now, and I know personally I'm so grateful for the way this song reminds me. Sometimes I make promises to you that I'm always going to come through, and I'll never do something again, and unfortunately, uh, I've failed many of those promises in my life, and I'm thankful that this song reminds us that, God, you never have failed on your promise, and that when we build our lives on your promises, God, we can have certainty and hope and joy in the midst of trials and persecution and in the seasons of joy, we won't be overly joyed because we'll be grounded in your gospel. So, Father, as we prepare to hear from your word today, I ask that you would remove the blinders that this world has put up in our lives. And, and God, honestly, the blinders that we've allowed to be put in our lives. And that you would heal us, that you would draw us close to you for our glory, or for our blessing, and for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. I pray this in his powerful name. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Pastor Daniel, and it's my privilege to be able to spend the next few minutes worshiping God with you through opening up the Holy Scriptures and opening up our hearts to hear what God has to say to us through His divinely inspired Word. And for the month of February, we've been going through a series on marriage. We've learned a couple things about marriage. Last week, we learned that marriage was a covenant of grace, and we talked about how our relationship with God is a covenant of grace, and that a marriage is built upon grace. It's about forgiving one another. It's about doing to that spouse what God has done for you, and forgiving and showing mercy and grace, because the person you married is imperfect. And we'll touch on that subject again tonight as we talk about singleness. Yes, all the single people are excited about tonight. And if you're married, I don't, you know, I, I told the, two weeks ago, or actually Larry did, two weeks ago, he kicked off the marriage series that if you're married or if you're single, don't check out because we're teaching about marriage for this month. You're going to learn a lot of things and you need to know these things about marriage. So if you're married tonight, don't check out because we're talking about singleness because we're also going to talk about marriage. Because tonight the big idea is singleness and marriage are gifts from God. One is not superior to the other. In our culture, we tend to view singleness as an inferior state of life. And there's reasons for that, and we'll touch on some of those. And When it comes to singleness, there are two clear, common ways that people miss the mark when it comes to understanding what singleness is as far as God's plan goes. Number one, we are single and we just cannot wait to get married. We just can't stand it. If I could just get married, I'm tired of being single. If I have to hear one more married person tell me that singleness is a gift, I'm going to punch them in the face. That's the type of attitude we have. We just cannot stand being single. The other way we miss it is, I've met people like this, and maybe you struggle with this, that we love being single because we're not changing for anybody. We either hate being single or we embrace it for the wrong reasons. Unfortunately, the church doesn't always do a good job of helping us understand what singleness is and explaining it properly. And sometimes you may have heard these sayings about singleness or you may have even spoken them yourself. Maybe you've heard, you know, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, 
then he'll bring the one to you. As if we have to meet these certain criteria before God would bless us with a mate. Maybe you've heard, well, you're just being too picky. Maybe you've heard, as a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work. You know what that says? That's telling us that, you know what God really needs? He needs emotional martyrs for his name. He needs someone to give their whole emotions to them. And God doesn't need that. That's not a good way to understand singleness. And I hope you haven't heard this, but maybe you have. Before God can bring you someone wonderful, he's got to turn you into someone wonderful. Hogwash. These statements are built upon a false presumption that the single life is for those who haven't qualified themselves. They haven't fulfilled everything they need to do in order to become marriage. They're not fully formed yet. So what does the world say about singleness? This is an interesting uh, caveat, if you will, or truth, that Christianity is the first religion that actually acknowledged and honored singleness as a respectable way of life. So if you're a Christian, you're single, this is exciting. If you think about this, Jesus, he was single, the founder of our faith, the son of God. Ladies, can you imagine being married to him? You could never say, so you just think you're perfect. Yes, I do. What about Paul, the apostle, who wrote what we're going to look at tonight, 1 Corinthians, and he wrote the book last week in Ephesians. He wrote that letter. He wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. What about him who lived a life of singleness? You know, in the ancient culture, children were the means through which someone's legacy lasted. This is how they endured in in long-term life and their heritage would go forward. Long-term single adults were considered to be living a substandard life. Well, what about today, though, in the United States? And we, we look at popular books and movies and even go to the theater. We see a heavy emphasis in our culture on finding that special someone, right? Think about Jerry Maguire. was one of my favorite movies for several reasons. It was exciting. And the big line, he comes back and he fights for his wife and he tells her, you complete me. Wow, it was powerful. I mean, I, <clears throat> I cried, okay? Sorry, guys, but I did. What about the Disney movie? Okay, just pick any Disney movie. And there's a romantic... necessity for this character to find that one true, special love. What about the commercials or the ads we see on the internet that are bombarding us with Match.com and Christian Single, Mingle, whatever it is. All these places encourage us that the thing that is not fulfilling your life is this special one and you need them. And unfortunately, if we are looking around and letting the cultural ideals influence our desires, we will hate being single. And in the same regard, if we are married and we're letting the cultural ideals shape our desires, eventually we will hate being married because it's supposed to be different. 
I'm, this is the four, I'm going through this book for the fourth time. It's called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. I'm going through it currently with a, a couple, and the wife told me last week, she said, after the first chapter, she said, you need to have every single woman read this book. And I said, you know what, I'm going to one-up you. I think every single woman and every married woman needs to read this book because it shatters a lot of the things that creep into our minds and it shapes our desires and it distorts what marriage is. And we really, truly miss what romance is about, what grace is about, what trust is about, and it perverts something wonderful that God has created into something that we can truly learn to hate. I want to read an excerpt from it. We talk about what the the way the world shapes our desires, and there was a, a lady named Lauren Winner, and she was talking about how in the beginning of a relationship, we can have strong, strong emotions. I remember these strong emotions when I first started dating my wife. It was just powerful, and if you had told me that I didn't truly love her with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, or whatever, I would have called you a liar, but I want you to listen to this. She says, when we are, quote-unquote, in love with someone, we often appear to attend to our beloved when, in fact, we are doing the very opposite. Instead of being attentive, we are acquisitive. We use the other for our own glorification. We bask in the presence of our beloved because we enjoy the image of ourselves that is reflected back. And this is the opposite of Christian love. The opposite is all about me. Even idolizing my beloved. Certainly a danger for a newly infatuated one. Is all about me. Though it pretends to be all about them. It is all about me because it does not take my beloved seriously as a person created and redeemed by God, but rather imagines him to be perfect, heroic, sublime, and get this, customized to meet my needs. It is so easy to think that we are truly loving someone, and we are not loving them, but we are loving the image of ourselves because of our being with them. So what does God's word have to say about singleness? In marriage. And we've already talked about how singleness is a gift from God, and, and marriage is also a gift from God. So I want us to look into the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 27 and 28. And let's see what Paul has to say. Remember, Paul last week in Ephesians chapter 5 had this lofty view of marriage. And so today we're going to see him focus some on singleness. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 27. Paul writes this. He says, are you, bound to, are you bound to a wife? Now, evidently, the church at Corinth had written Paul or sent message to him somehow and asked him personal questions about relationships because he was writing to an audience that had been radically changed by the resurrection. They had been under the law. They'd been doing things these certain ways, and now they had this controversial, surprisingly shocking message of the gospel that they are freed from those things. And they're saying, okay, seriously, we do not understand how this helps us or how we apply what we have been taught all these years. How do we apply this 
to our relationships today within the church, within our families, within our marriages? Will you help us? So they asked him questions. He was answering specific questions. So going back, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. So saying if you're married, don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Are you unmarried? Are you single? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Okay, Paul. I have to preach this, and my wife is here. He says to seek to spare you the troubles of marriage. It seems to be in direct opposition to what he said last week, or what he said in Ephesians, which we talked about last week. This high view of marriage and how it is a covenant that is beautifully mirroring the covenant that we have with God through Christ built upon grace. So why in Ephesians is he speaking so highly of this mystery called marriage? And then now seems to be discouraging a single person to become married. What does he mean? Well, let's look at the next verse because it tells us what he means. Verse 29. This is what I mean. (laughs) All right. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as those they were not rejoicing. Uh, rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with the world. For the present form of this world is passing away. At a glance, when we first read this, I'll speak for myself. When I first read this at a glance, it seems more confusing after he explains what he means. It's like going to an art gallery and, for me and being ignorant of what this artist is doing and, and not understanding anything that's going on. I, what, what are you saying, Paul? This sounds flowery, but it sounds like you're telling me to deny my feelings and to tick off my wife by pretending like I'm not married. Live as though I don't have a wife? Seriously? That Certainly, we know for sure it can't mean that we are to disregard her and do whatever we want to do. Because last week, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. It'll pop up on the screen. 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So obviously, this must mean something different than to use this for something selfish. But he does say, he says, if you're mourning or if you're in sorrow, live as if you were not. Is he telling me to suppress my feelings? No, let's keep going. Rejoicing, live as though you're not rejoicing. Okay, if you're buying, live as though you were poor. If you're dealing with the world as if you were not. And so the key to understanding what he's saying here goes back to the end of verse 31 when he says this. The present form of this world is passing away. The present form of this world is passing away. This is the clarifying statement to help us understand this. He's saying the worldly system that we are living in is fading away. It's terminal. It is dying. But you're not dying. You are different than this worldly system. 
There's something different about you because of the faith you have in Christ. He says, as a Christian, your identity has changed. Dear Christian, you don't look to the things of the world to find your ultimate fulfillment because you've attained that ultimate fulfillment through Christ. So we can enjoy the things of the world without becoming enslaved or engrossed in them. The assurance that we have in God of our eternal life, of the future world, transforms our attitudes toward these earthly activities and these earthly things. So when we have success in life, we can be glad and excited, but not overly glad. Rejoicing, but living as though you don't rejoice. So you can be glad, rejoice, but not overly rejoicing, because even if you succeed, that's not your ultimate fulfillment, Christian. And if you fail, it's okay to be sad. But you don't have to be depressed and let it destroy you because, dear Christian, God loves you, not because of your success or failure, but he loves you because of his son, Jesus. You're different now. You're not dependent upon this world to give you value. Our joy is guaranteed by God. So what does this have to do with singleness and marriage? Well, we can understand this principle and we can live and not become overly excited about the thought of being married. And we can live and not be overly disappointed about not being married because we have our fulfillment in Christ. Our marriage and our singleness will be seen instead, not as an ultimate fulfillment for our lives, but it will be seen as a means for us to serve others, not to be the ultimate goal for our life. Singleness and marriage, we will understand, are things that are given to us by God, and therefore there are gifts that we use for His glory, because he's already given us our fulfillment. Singleness and marriage are gifts from God. Look with me as we explore more about what our identity change, uh, being changed means. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we, he speaks more clearly, or Peter brings up more clearly as to, to how our identity changes when we become a Christian. He says, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That last sentence, the last verse right there that's on the board right now. Does anybody know who he's quoting? Hosea, the other pastor. Knows it. Good job, man. Hosea. And so in, in January, was it last year, January? It wasn't this one, but two Januaries ago, which is cool that we can go back two Januaries now. Hallelujah. You've been here a year and a half. It's okay. You clapped in the middle of a sermon. God's been good to Connection Church. We're 
excited to still be here. But in Hosea, we were going through this, uh, this whole book for four weeks, and Hosea is a prophet, a man of God, and he was told by God to go and marry a prostitute. That's right, a prostitute. And so he goes and he does this, and they have three children together, and two of his, the children, God told them to be named, not my people, and the other one, one of the other one was no mercy. But we see later in the book that God chose to call them, you are my people. He changed their name. And you have received mercy. By God's grace, he, he changed their name. And so there was a new identity for them. And, and Peter is telling us as a Christian, listen, you have a new identity. You are a chosen race. Now, our world likes to break people up into all these different races. But in the body of Christ, there is one race. In the body of Christ, there is one body, and we look beautifully different. Amen? But there is one chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and that should encourage you that God has created you in in a new way to become a holy nation. And he says, he calls us a people for his own possession. We are God's people. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, let's look at this verse. It was read earlier in the service. He says, this is Paul writing again. He says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You and I are God's workmanship. You and I are artfully crafted by the Creator. And we are created new in Christ Jesus. Don't tell me you need to get married to find value. Don't tell me that you need to get single to find value. Your value is there because of what Christ has done for you and the covenant God has made for you eternally. You are His workmanship right now. You don't need something else to find fulfillment. God has artfully crafted you and we have been crafted for these good works. Not by good works. We don't become wonderfully loved by God because of good works, but He brings us into the faith and He saves us and we're created new and afresh and we have a new life for good works. He wants to do great and wonderful things through us. And God has prepared things for us, for you, for this generation, for you personally. He has an idea and a plan for your life and He wants you to walk in His plan. And our identity assures us that we are valued as a new creation in Christ, period. Not because of the relationship you have or don't have, but you are valued through Christ alone. So looking for fulfillment in singleness or marriage is a distortion of the gospel. You will only find your true fulfillment in this life-giving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. All right, for a moment, just take a second and look around at people around you, okay? All right, here we go. One, two, three. We see people all around us, right? This is your family. This is your family. To the married people, this is the truest family you have. When you were married and your in-laws, I know you can reject the in-laws easier than your own sometimes and say, yeah, they're not my true family, but 
this family of faith is the truest family that you have more than your blood relatives because our identity in Christ has changed. And so you are able in church to find deeply fulfilling relationships, not only with Jesus, which is what you need, but with his body, with his bride, with the people that are in his church. So we need a fully fulfilling relationship with Jesus, and we also need a healthy relationship with a grace-centered, gospel-expanding church. Because if we don't, we'll put too much pressure on wanting to become married. Or if we're already married, we'll put too much pressure on our husband or our wife to be that fulfillment. And it will create major problems in our life. But God gives us the church to find these meaningful, lifelong relationships that will endure the test of time and will also transcend into eternity. Marriage to our spouse is not the ultimate fulfillment in life. It's only when our marriage to Christ, it's only when our marriage to Christ brings peace and joy into our lives that we will be able to live properly within the gift of singleness or within the gift of marriage. I keep saying the gift of singleness. Did I just come up with that word, or is it in the Bible? So let's look at the Bible, let's see what Paul's talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7 through 11. Paul said, I, I wish that all were as I am, or I myself am. And remember, he's single. But each of us, or each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. And he expands a little bit more in verse 8. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Let's pause just for a second right there on that verse. Some people say, well, I don't have this gift of singleness because I really am fighting passions that I need to find fulfillment for within the context of marriage if I want to be a good Christian. So, obviously, I don't have this gift of singleness. Okay, Paul is not saying that just because you are having trouble controlling your sexual desires, that you need to go and enter into a covenant with someone so that you can fulfill yourself. That's not what he's saying. What he is talking about is, if you find someone, then you and her, or or you and him, whichever is appropriate, are finding yourselves, I I have to have them, I I love them, and I'm, I'm passionately overwhelmed by them. He's saying, look, don't fight it. Get married. Enter into a covenant together. Do this the right way, beautifully. Commit to one another. So that's what he's saying. He's not saying just because you're having issues, because Jesus has power over those issues. We don't get married because we're having trouble controlling ourselves. Because if you have trouble controlling yourself before marriage, guess what you're going to have trouble doing after marriage? Controlling yourself. It doesn't fix it. Okay? So, unpause. Verse 10. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled with her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So Paul talks about the gift of one or gift of the other. The gift of singleness or the gift of marriage. Whichever one you're in, hold on to and cling on to that because Your ultimate fulfillment will not come by changing your current status. 
The gift of singleness doesn't mean that you won't struggle with the desire for marriage. If you're single and you really want to be married, I understand that feeling. I was there at one time. But don't read this and think, well, I really want to get married, so I must not have that gift because that's not true. Or, and also, I don't want you to think that this gift of singleness that God has for us is necessarily a lifelong thing. It very well could be temporary. But when we say the gift, this is what God, uh, Paul is saying, or God is saying through Paul, the gift is this, whether you're single or married, the gift is this, the ability that God gives us to build others up. That's what he means by it's a gift. Your singleness is given to you as a means through which God wants to build others up. Your marriage is a gift God has given to you to build others up, and that includes specifically and more, but specifically your spouse. As a single person, you have a lot more opportunities or in different ways to serve God that married people, quite frankly, don't. One of those big differences is time flexibility. You're able to, at the drop of a hat, do some things that a married person would not be able to do. Some of the singles here have done some really interesting things with their free time. For example, babysitting. So the married couples can go out and enjoy their marriage and the free time that they don't have. Remember I talked about that? What a beautiful way for you to build up the marriages in your faith family. What about the opportunity for you to invite friends over for dinner? Because you don't have to worry about all the, the kid stuff. You know what? Let's have a dinner party and let's do some fun things. What about hosting a connect group? What about noticing that your friend's having a really bad day? Say, you know what? After work today, I'm going to reach out to them and I'm going to be a friend. I'm going to invite them over or go over. Or I'm going to take them to dinner. I'm going to do something and I'm going to encourage them, build them up and let them know they are not alone because they have me. The gift of singleness. What about serving in the Rockaways as we did after Superstorm Sandy with our free time? We had married and singles doing that, but honestly, we had more singles that were able to be more free in doing that. We find our fulfillment in Jesus, then we're not seeking relationships with others to be that fulfillment, and we see it as an opportunity to build others up. Singleness is a gift that God has granted to you right now. And he's offering you the grace to accept this gift and to use it for great things in order to build up others. And in doing so, guess what? You're going to realize that you yourself will be built up. There was another part of this chapter in the book. By the way, if I wasn't clear enough earlier, every person should go buy this book and read it. If you can read, read it. The first chapter will amazingly break down false ideas that we have about marriage. And it gets even better after that. But there was this uh, lady named Paige Brown who wrote this short paragraph, really short paragraph, and it talked about Christian balance when it comes to being single. Okay? Not being overly one way or overly the other. She said this. Let's face it. Singleness is not an inherently inferior state of affairs. Okay? She understands, I'm not inferior because I'm single. But I want to be married. I pray to that end every day. 
I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. That I may never have another date because God is so good to me. It's important for us to understand that it is okay and understandable for you to desire to be married. But it's not okay for you to think that you will only find your fulfillment in some other relationship other than the life-giving relationship with God through Christ. Because you will abuse that relationship. It will let you down and you will crash and you will crash hard. God has the ability to bring healing through through those crashes and from the crashes. But why purposely go through them or ignorantly go through them when God can give us a better route? Married people have unique gifts too. There's an opportunity to be a friend to singles who desire discernment in many areas of their life and including choosing whom to marry. Husbands and wives together can help singles by letting them see into their marriage to let them know from the beginning that it it takes work. It takes forgiveness. It takes a lot of grace. Scratch that. A healthy marriage demands grace. And it's important for every person to know that there is no perfect person for you because there is no perfect person for anyone. You will marry an imperfect person if you are blessed with the gift of marriage. And married people, you can also provide a a family for singles to become involved in. Singleness and marriage are gifts from God. We're not to be seeking relationships with other people in order to meet our own needs, to find the fulfillment that we are desperately craving or to build our own self-esteem. But we are to seek a partnership with others, a union with them, to help the other person become their future glorious self. You want to be able to look at that other person and say, you know what, I believe in Jesus, I find my fulfillment in him, and I am excited about who he is creating you to be. And you are changing, because 20 years from now, if you get married 20 years from now, you're going to be married to a different person, even though it's the same person. Because we change. But we stay committed to one another, because we're excited about who God is changing you into singleness a gift to build up others in unique ways married a gift to build up others in unique ways and all of us are beautifully artfully crafted masterpieces and whether you are single or whether you are married your ultimate fulfillment only comes through a relationship with the life-giving God through the Savior who gave his life for you because he loves you and he finds value in you just like you are right now. If that doesn't encourage you, I didn't explain it well enough. And I will talk to you after church. God knows who you are. He loves you. And he is your fulfillment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now and we are 
people who are in desperate need of fully understanding your gospel and your truth. It is so easy to have strong emotions and to believe that, that we are in desperate need of something more than what we have. And it's so easy to be led astray. But I pray tonight that you would give us clarity and conviction that if the simplicity of the song we sang earlier, that we could lose the rest of the world. We could lose everything. But as long as we have Jesus, we have everything that matters. Thank you, Jesus, that you hold on to us in our times of doubts, in our times of trials, in our times of discouragement. And I pray right now that you would encourage the hearts of everyone here, that they would see the, the beauty of who you are, the value of who you've created them to be, and that we would desire to use the gift of singleness or the gift of marriage, not for our own glorification, but for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the building up of your body, your bride, your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for that word, Daniel. Now we enter into a time of response. And you know, uh, my wife and I were just on a trip last week and we came back and we gave Micah and Noah two of our boys. Ezra didn't get a gift because he's only five months old. He wouldn't have appreciated it. We gave them each a gift. It was a little recorder. You know what a recorder is? You learn how to play it in like fifth grade um, from the place that we went. And we were, they were sitting at the table. We gave it to Micah, gave it to Noah. And I won't out which one was which, but one of them immediately put it in his mouth and began blowing and making a joyful noise. Not a pleasant noise, but a joyful one. He understood what the gift was for, and he used it. He, he played music with it by blowing. The other one, though, you can probably guess which one it was, looked at it, turned it around, and started banging the table with it. And I'm thinking, you're not using that right. That's, you're supposed to blow in that. And we tried to teach him, and he did it, and he saw that you could make noise, but then he just started banging the table again. He wasn't understanding the gift, and he wasn't using it properly. So tonight, we have learned um, something incredibly vital for each and every one of our lives, and that's that the place that God has you right now is a gift. You have been given a gift. Whether you're single or married, it's a gift. The question, though, is, are you using it properly? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, As each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God's varied grace. It's different. His grace is shown to us differently. But we all have the same gift, and that's to serve one another. So tonight, the way that you can respond is by choosing to pick up that gift that you have been given and use it the right way. I mean, I understand that God is even right now convicting my heart that there are ways that I'm using my gift of marriage incorrectly, selfishly. And I know that some of you are feeling the same way. And so we're going to open up this altar, and there's a place uh, where you can pray, you can kneel, and you can lay, lay it before God. God, thank you for the gift. That's probably a good way to start. And then commit to Him that you'll allow his Holy Spirit to teach you how to use that gift better than you have been. Whether it's marriage or singleness. 
Maybe you're here tonight and that the way that Daniel ended the sermon by saying the only way that you can have the joy that you're looking for, the fulfillment that you're looking for, is not in your relationship status, but in your status with God, knowing that it's only through Christ that you can find fulfillment. Lindsay will be standing up here with me. Either one of us would be happy to pray with you about that, to share with you about how Christ can be the fulfillment that you're searching for. He is the fulfillment that you're searching for. Whatever you're needing in your soul tonight, I encourage you to take care of it right now while we stand and while we sing. Come and talk with one of us. Pray by yourself. Pray where you are. But remember, you have been given a gift. The question as we go into a time of response is, how are you using your gift? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift that you have given us. Would you teach us by the power of your word to use our gifts to serve one another, knowing that it is by your varied grace that you have given them to us. Transform the way that we view our relationship status. And will we forsake it all for the name of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Stand with us and sing and respond as God has called you.